In order for shame to be rendered powerless in our lives, we must be witnessed. We must be seen. Your gifting is going to seem like things that are just very obvious. They're going to seem like, well, everybody can be this welcoming. Everybody can see that moment where I just saw it. We're going to feel like anybody could do it. And that's what makes it your gifting. Watch how people avoid the face of somebody in need or asking who makes you uncomfortable. Every one of those faces reveal God. We have to remember our past and recount the things that God has done for us. And then that gives us faith to keep going to where he wants us to be. Guys, welcome back to the Incense Podcast. I'm Sam. And I'm Blaine. And how is that for a peppy new intro voice? I love that. I don't think I can maintain it for very long. It's a new year. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> As we're really genuinely excited to be back in our first new episode. It's not a re-air. It's a new year, new us, new content. And we have a lot of exciting things in store over the month that we've got planned out and into February. That's as far in the future as I can see at the moment, which is further than I've ever been able to see before. Yeah, you can see the future. Yeah, you ever play uh, Exploding Kittens? I'm using the... <laughs> the easy, the future. I don't you know just looked like, at the next four cards. Yeah. And I don't think I'm going to blow up. I don't know what the fifth card is, but... We wanted to begin our return, our revamp, our... Uh, I think return of the king and the prince, me, you. The Jedi. Would be a good way of putting it. That was where I was going to go. We wanted to start by sharing some of the story. So this is genuinely like the where have we been? How was furlough? What was going on? And I've found that many of the most meaningful episodes, whether they were four minutes or an hour, they're the ones that pull back the curtain a little bit and allow us to be honest, be vulnerable, share some things, invite in some things, uh, rather than the episodes that maybe feel a little bit more arm's length. It might be safer to be having conversations about things that are over there, but they're less important. There's going to be several deep dives, I know, that come out of even this conversation, things we might reference here. But I think where I want to start is that 2020 global crises aside, was the year when some of the recurring pressures and stressors in our working relationship hit a point where they were just unsustainable. Right. I remember we did a, an interview with Dan Allender years ago, and as you might guess, when you have Dan on, you end up needing to do a fair bit of editing. Um, maybe you didn't guess that, but he's prone to tangents that might not be totally on subject or to naming certain truths that you don't want him to name. <laughs> I was going to say, or just saying things that you just shouldn't say. <laughs> yeah. On record. <laughs> well, one of them we didn't appreciate him saying, but was true is just naming the environment and tension of how about two brothers co-host a podcast, share a room in their shared office space share the same role in creating a print magazine and see how long that lasts until cracks begin to show. And I think we looked at him and we're like, Dan, you're here to talk about trauma. You're not here yeah. to inflict trauma. Don't talk to me about me. 
We're going to just cut that part out of your segment, Dan, <laughs> despite how uh, I think close to the mark maybe it felt, right? Yeah. I would say part of one of the ways I've been putting it also is that 2020 is the year where the cracks did begin to show in the story that I was telling myself mm. about my own motivation and just to go, wow, I felt like I had spent a lot of time learning my own heart. And that is true, actually. There's there's a long progression there. But here's the story that I would tell about our working relationship. It oh, would good. go like this. I do my job. I love my job. Sam gets mad. Who knows why people are the way they are? <laughs> and scene. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, gosh, you know, it's tough being burdened with so much knowledge. I can't. To an embarrassing degree, just going, when it's your stuff, it's just like, what I know about my motive, you know, you don't know what you don't know. What I know about my motives feels good. Uh, what I know about my work ethic feels good. And I don't understand what Sam is seeing that's making him so mad about decisions that I make. And then other stressors. Em and I were in a season where we had a newborn, and man, we're he's still pretty newborn. He's well, he's he's like over six months old now. Isn't that crazy, yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> How where does the time go? And when did you stop being newly born? Six months in the grand scheme of things. <laughs> well, I asked some guys to do a time of prayer, and it actually came out of I was participating in some healing deliverance prayer for a person, and they were talking about uh, just sort of their inner dialogue and how oppressive it was. And they were casting it in terms of need, warfare. And I went, that is kind of what my internal dialogue is like, it though, and I just kind of ignore it. So I asked for some prayer. And the place that Jesus took it was performance. And he took it to a place where I had been at a like uh, charismatic church gathering. I was super curious and I wanted to know more of God. And they did the thing of like, hey, if anyone wants to pray in tongues, you can come to the front. And so I put my hand up. I'm like, are you kidding me? This is something someone can do. And I know that I'm sensitive, you guys, there are different experiences and perspectives on the gifts of the Spirit in our listeners. Uh, or in the room. Or in the room. And that's okay because the progression of my heart in the story, I think you'll all be able to identify with. So I go up and I'm I'm trying to pay attention, like, re, you know, tune into the place in my heart where I hear the voice of God for some assurance that something is going to happen. And I just feel this void. And I just have this deep sense of like, oh no. And you know, this is, this is back before the, even before college. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm putting myself out there. And I, if I'm pretty sure that God is not going to come. Mm. And so like the gal is moving down and, uh, and so, so like some things were mishandled, but, the point is, she comes up, and I just decide I have to fake it. So I just, like, you know, fake something, 
and everyone else had been collapsing. And I know that I just, I, I can feel there are two guys standing behind me. And I'm like, if I just throw myself backwards, this all ends. So that's what I do. And immediately the levels of, you know, shame, humiliation until this, until 2020, that like wasn't a story I would tell Emily. I'm like, let's just consign mm-hmm. that to oblivion. Never speak of it again. Uh, and never talk about kind of the sense of disappointment and disqualification and abandonment from God that got in in that scene. And I told these guys that my story is perform or die. And the guys who were praying for me back in, I don't know, June, just we listened together and we all heard, including me, which was the clutch thing, uh, that's not quite true. It is, I've in, told my story that way but been like, it's actually been choose the path of performance. Over here is the path of being opposed, negative consequences of not performing. And then there's this third option, which is just wait for God to do something. And so all of a sudden I feel angry so, and like really hard. And like in that don't touch that God thing comes up. And what gets exposed is this, whoa. There are some things, not everything, but there are some things where what I had interpreted is like, I'm a victim of circumstances. I just end up in situations that have a high performance value and it's perform or die, so I have chosen perform. But it's been like, no, 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 I've chosen performance as an alternative to being covered by God, to being sort of naked and unashamed, so just avoided being naked and all of a sudden, my perspective of what the Anson's work environment has been like gets kind of turned on its head because my story of I do my job, Sam gets mad, who can understand why people do the things they do is kind of replaced with, whoa, when I feel threatened in any way, uh, I'm not going to be significant, I'm not going to be loved, I'm not going to be meaningful, rather than pushing into the tension and being unafraid because I know that Jesus will come through, I would default towards perform, go be great at the job, don't need anything, do something else uh, to simply almost to to pretend in some places like I already have the assurance that I want and is being threatened by whatever the situation is. Whoa. How do you feel right now having said all of that into a microphone and well, cameras? I was thinking about it, and I was actually, while we were recording, yeah, I mean, at the beginning of that story, debating telling the story at arm's length mm-hmm. and going, hey, some things came up, and that would be okay. But there are a lot of reasons why I don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think... I mean, to name a few, withholding my heart from my work and from people is one of the things that's cost me what I want. And so I'm aware that, one, the strategy doesn't work. Like, keeping it at an arm's length, it isn't ineffective. And also, if I were to tell that, none of you guys who follow with us would know anything more about what had happened. Right. And the other thing is that, like, I want to see God mm. more and more. And the way towards that is scary to me because it's the way of simply honesty 
truth. That is where God is. And many of the things that have felt like threatening. And so to choose in this podcast, I'm going, man, do I tell the story about that charismatic gathering? Yes. Yes, I do. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because I am learning in the season they're in right now of that the covering of Jesus is actually sufficient. That even if I like share a story that is really embarrassing to me, I don't also need to protect myself. Not like, you know, now just treating frankness as a new law. Like, well, now every single conversation I have, I'm the most vulnerable person ever. Like, no, 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 it's not that. It's where the invitation of Jesus requires vulnerability, where the invitation of Jesus requires some radical risk-taking. I'm doing it more. Um, I'm doing it as God addresses some of the places of abandonment, betrayal, right? Because it's not enough just to like identify it and then go, oh, well, now I'm going to, I'm not going to do that anymore. Right. It's taken part of the reason that we ended up going on furlough was me really discovering like, well, I found this. I don't know how to be different yet. And I'm not doing super well. So the next thing I know something needs to happen in terms of addressing these characteristic traumatic moments mm-hmm. and actually letting God bring healing and redemption so that I'm able to do something differently. Because as long as there's these totally like these massive areas that feel like they confirm the verdict that I was accepting, it would be very hard to do something different. Mm. It is good to be seen, even if it also feels like death to be seen. I know. I think one of the things that takes admitting and doesn't necessarily come at any point, we hope that it comes sooner rather than later, is the admission that the things we're doing to protect ourselves actually aren't working and that they're just causing more harm, more death, and they feel like the safety, they feel like the safe response, they feel like the the place we choose over and over and over and over again in fight, flight, freeze, and they actually don't save more often than not. And I think personally, I'd rather be feeling like it's late and admitting it in my 30s or your 20s than never admitting it or choosing to admit it in another 30 years and just going, okay, ugh. So... Yeah, so massive, massive things that it's one of these where, whoa, in response to wounds, I've designed or received or formed a story that helps me to survive. Mm -hmm. And I think, as you're saying, like the, the crazy thing is when it stops working. Right. And it's easy for me to tell other people when that happens, like what you are actually experiencing is the rescue of God. Mm. Like uh, Harder to say that when it's you, it, right? It really, I cannot overemphasize how much it does not feel like it, right? It's like, right. Uh, no, no, no. The rescue of God would feel good. This just feels bad, uh, and I and I'm not totally sure what to do next. And the interesting thing too is, it's not even just personal recognition; it's being finally able to 
look at my world and ask what kind of story my world is telling, right? So, you know, it's like, could I look at Ansons and go, everyone who's involved with that project is like seen and thriving and it's this, and to kind of go, kind of, but also no, and why? And like, it's that in the Wild at Heart world, we ask the question a lot of, what's the effect that a man has on the world? Um, so partially just coming to a point of recognition of going like, wow, uh, I'm not just having a, a bad effect because it doesn't work that way, but there is this body of evidence that is negative that I've kind of been doing some mental jujitsu uh, to interpret without having to change the story to be like, maybe there are some areas in my life that really don't want God. Mm. I can see myself and you getting trapped into exploring some categories that for a lot of people would feel like, isn't that basic, like sacred romance, wild art type stuff? And they go like, well, it is. And when you grow up in this context, it feels like there are a thousand points of self-examining your life and therefore a piece gets in of you should have that dealt with or that shouldn't really apply, right? These ways of creating a safe behavior or a, a way of reacting, of, of structuring your life, of engaging performance for yours. Um, you're like, well, because we are who we are, whatever the hell that means, then all of it's negated, right? Um, there's a booby trap there to not examine certain things that I think we're both experiencing some freedom from this summer, this year, this fall. And I'm very grateful for that. So let's share the other side of the coin, right? When we were sharing with the staff what the furlough has been like as we come out of it, I just began to name, like, imagine you're working with your brother and you're sharing an office and you're sharing a job description on a team that's very small. And every decision that you make, you make with your brother or against your brother. And so a podcast, for example, you would have an idea, I would have an idea that would be different on any given day because you need to come up with lots of them. The more ideas, the better because you've got a weekly podcast to come out with. But it would become this clashing of heads thing and it would go, I think I want to have this conversation and you would disagree or I would disagree with your idea. And eventually one of us had to win and go first with that idea. And then we have to go into the studio and be on each other's side, which we were, but also we would be 12 and 11 in any given moment of recording, not always having the eyes to recognize all that was going beneath the surface. It was very like, no, it's this. I am who I am. You are who you are. Who knows why people do the things they do? Who knows why I have this anger building and blame leaves and we were both convinced we needed to quit every single day for the first year you worked here. And then I think cyclically that would yeah, get on in. And, on. Of, <laughs> and then I just need to, uh, everything's fine. I just need to burn the podcast to the ground and maybe also the building, but I don't really want to go to jail for arson. So how do I, hmm. So for me, so many pieces come together for my story of anger and safety. But I'll, I'll share some pieces here that feel helpful as we also do deeper dives over the coming weeks into these categories. Once again, Dan Allender has uh, this piece on 
the idea you have a you receive a gift from your abuser or the assault on your life. Um, it's unintended, but it's part of what what you how you learn to survive. Actually, gives you certain talents and gifts, and and for you, like there is a there's something true about your ability to come through when it's not in brokenness, right? There's, a, there's something true about being able to perform and push and strive and learn and grow that is some of the gift of turning to that for safety. Like that's not now all gone, right? Totally. And for me, there is some of the gift of high school being horrible and some of the, you know, well, pick and choose which of the arenas we'll dive into, but some of the family table growing up at dinner in high school would be hard. And some of my gift from that time was I walk into a room and I read everybody, right? Like I'm aware of how everybody's doing and how everybody seems to be feeling towards me. In college, I would leave hangouts with people, leave parties without saying goodbye and often pretty early because it was better to not overstay a welcome it was better to be missed rather than to go up to somebody and say, hey, I'm taking off and have them not care. I'd rather get the text 10 times out of 10 of, hey, where'd you go? You disappeared last night because that means we wanted more. Always mm-hmm. leave them wanting more than over, than overstaying your welcome, which should be a red flag already of like, uh, there's some lack of safety there. But anger begins to get into my story for self protection and for things being unseen and and bottling up. And there's been a lot of cool revelations to all that extent of the ways that it ties into uh, voicelessness and depression in my story of um, feeling not seen. And when I manage that, when people internalize that, it's just, it's pressure on the canister. It's just increasing and it escapes through anger, escapes through sometimes acts of violence wasn't the case for me, but I remember when I was, I graduated from college, dad just like, Dan, how do you feel these days? And I was like, oh, I actually, I feel pretty angry. He goes, yeah. You say more? Like, oh, if somebody ran in front of the car right now, I don't think I would swerve. It would be an accident, but I was angry enough that I was just simmering under the surface. And particularly in cases of injustice. So in, in college, I did a semester abroad and for the semester, they assigned three different major projects. You had a, a significant person, a significant city, and a significant piece of art or uh, infrastructure that you had to do like a larger project on. And my art infrastructure piece was actually, there were four of us that were assigned this avenue in London. Like it was just from... Trafalgar Square all the way to, to Big Ben and Parliament, that was, we had this street. Wow. And we had to self-assign like what we thought was important and what we wanted to talk about. So somebody obviously does Trafalgar, does the statue, somebody else takes Parliament and wants to do about that. And then two of us are kind of left with like the scraps in between. And so I found myself talking about this, um, the war monuments, the tunnels and bunkers by Churchill's area. Um, and there were just a couple of obelisks on the street right there. And so I'm shooting from the hip a little bit. Like in my lack of defense, um, I didn't do a great job. I did okay. Uh, there was a monument that one of the professors, they, they would come by and you do your your piece and they asked a question and I didn't know the answer. And it was like, okay. 
I just gave you a full report, and I didn't know the answer to one question. Well, one of the professors, while walking down the street, I guess walked on the far side, and I saw, therefore I never saw her. She never found me. And they gave me a zero for the assignment. So out of 100 points, I got none. They flat out failed me, largely because that professor couldn't find me, despite the fact that everybody else in the class did. So a case of injustice that elicits anger. My person was almost an identical story. Like it was Charlemagne, I think, at this point. Forgive me, it's been 10 years. But they gave me, again, a zero because I didn't know a couple of the questions. And it felt so disproportionate that it was like, can I have, give me a D. If you give me an F, that's still 50 points. That's, I'll take 50. That's going to help me with my overall score, but it's flat out zero. And my city was Istanbul, which was at the very end. And I, at that point, was so angry. Like I, I gave most of the presentation for my group, and I, like, it felt like I could have punched somebody the whole time. Like it was dare to ask me a question that I don't know about this. And of course, they gave me an A, and they were like, well done, just felt like you really knew it. But I was so full of rage at them for these things that felt like I was being missed and being unseen and being treated unfairly, um, that these aspects of me really do come, that that anger comes in self-defense there. Similarly, a story from the summer, um, we were having a conversation with some friends, and somebody began attacking Susie, unjustly, and I jumped to her defense and could have killed the person in my defense of her. And to me, it felt uninvited and therefore unfair. And my sense of injustice, injustice was like, no, this isn't okay. And I will blow everything up in defense of the things that feel close to me. Mm. So you flash forward to a working environment where Sometimes we're 30 and 29, 28. Sometimes we're 12. Sometimes we're kids. It feels like uh, just mercy for all of the, the episodes we recorded. Like, I think it's amazing, actually, just all that came across and that we did. And you throw some of those episodes of uh, your performance to survive, perform or die. And my, when I am unseen, when I am moved past, it is again an area of defense. My anchor rises to the surface of like, I'm going to kill this person because it's them or me. Mm. Like I will be the one to be lost, to be not fought for. And to go like, whoa, wait, this is where this is coming from? Rather than a place of genuine, um, like anger feels like it should come from the pit of a volcano. Like it just, it should get like hotter and hotter, right? But instead it actually begins to feel more fragile and more vulnerable. The deeper we chase after that particular rabbit hole and they go, oh, right. And like in my story, there's all of these pieces of pain or not being seen or being lambasted like in the semester abroad. I was like, what? Who else had that experience? Who else was getting that kind of interaction? So, you know, that feels like a high-level story as opposed to a life-or-death story. But when it becomes that systemic, you learn a way of being. You learn a way of, yeah, I'd hit somebody with a car, particularly if it was one of these professors. If they walked in front of me, be like, oh, oops. (sighs) Hope they're not too badly hurt. So you get to this point (laughs) where this summer we're like, uh, we were plotting out volume five. And it was just like, all, whatever the buffer was, whatever the enamel was or the the cartilage, like it, it was gone. 
and it's just unsustainable to try and continue pretending like there wasn't deeper things needing to be addressed, right? And so there was hard breaks put on it. The furlough was genuinely like, we we did other projects, mostly. I responded to a lot of emails and still mailed stuff out. Um, but it, it wasn't it wasn't the pressure cooker of creating new things. And it was a time to honestly examine and seek healing for some of those ways that we just felt like the world was and didn't have to be. It's so crazy to hear on this side of things a story to have you share things that where it's so systematic and targeted and then and it builds and even in like a close working relationship and where also of the layer of hey listeners the things not just that you've chosen but that you've suffered make it hard to hear other people's stories without them sort of being like sucked into some matrix of confirmation of a narrative or a threat or something that's just frustrating. But to go, whoa, those things, you know, it's funny to be hitting to other things off camera here, but to go, there's just that reality. If, if you were to hear anyone's whole story told rightly, it would break your heart. Mm. And mm-hmm. it's almost like, like the aggregate of those things. I think one of the things that is remarkable about God in 2020 is that in most circumstances, we're at the point where it's like quit. Uh, or lose your job. Quit or lose your job and renegotiate relational terms and just have like a slightly diminished relationship for however long until it, you know, it gets rebuilt. Maybe. Or dies fully. Yeah, exactly. And go, not a good position. Um, Mm -hmm. And again, when you can look at someone else's story, you can go like, I think actually God is saving you. Like that you are not just left to like the sum total of negative influences, like the enemy's opposition, your own wounding, my own sin, like how things work, but to go the reality of those inflection points, the way through, I mean, I have, like I was saying, with relationships with other people, which is like the only way through is in. Like, Sounds like a bear hunt. Right, exactly. Uh, so many lessons to be learned from children's books, I guess. But <laughs> what's with the last illustration in the We're Going on a Bear Hunt book? <laughs> you go all the way through. And they're just in the a mess page. in the bed? No. You turn the page from there all hiding in the bed saying, we're not going to go to a bear hunt again. And it's the bear wandering along a moonlit beach. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's so weird. I think that they want to tell kids that the bear is far away, that he's not yeah, waiting yeah. outside the door. But it's really it really makes the bear the center of the story. I think he might be. <laughs> anyway, the only way through is in. And to hit these points and go... There was, there's a lot of uh, needing people to ask the question, what do you want? And to ask it repeatedly and to help you remember things that you want. And then to go, uh, I think that there's, there's a masculine norm that's like let off steam and be like, you know what? What you need, what will fix you is a little relief and a week in the mountains and you'll come back and you'll have just released the pressure, but to go, 
that is good and important, and it won't fix anything. Uh, right. You actually getting addressing core areas of pain and wounding requires. So you know, we both did counseling intensives that mm-hmm. were super intense and right helpful, emphasis and on changeful and difficult. Of like, oh, yeah. as the days are coming up to it. And as I'm driving there, I'm like, I would rather do anything than do this right now. I feel like... Oh, I felt that. And I couldn't be anywhere else, right? Like it was all of my... After just two days of it, all of my basic reactions, actions, behaviors were like stripped away. I had no autopilot anymore. I had to like think about where I was putting my hands and think about the words I was saying to my kids. I wasn't really seeing anybody else that week. And it stripped away a lot of my, oh, yeah, it just kind of operates you from the hip. Like, that's okay. And that's who I am. And that's what's normal. And it was just uh, Eustace being pulled apart and the dragon scales coming off by Aslan in the Voyage of the Dawn Treader. Like, that painful, okay, now I can't really move. I know there's healing ahead, but at first there's just the stripping off. It was really good. Yeah. Ugh. <laughs> to your point, though, but, like we needed, it. we needed to have more. We needed the only way out is through. Yeah. Yeah. If you want my exact prepositions, the only way through is in. The only it's not about out. The only is way. It? <laughs> yeah, I, I want a way out. Where's that? Is uh, it the the rip cord between on your legs? A bear hunt. Let's get out of Let's here. Get, <laughs> this is a bad idea. That's <laughs> <laughs> what a stupid thing. Let's go back to bed. Uh, yeah, those are some big takeaways for me as I was coming out of the week of counseling. And you know, how do you not have them be these clear moments on the mountain that then you lose and you come back down into normal life? And I found I needed to reduce it to a couple of key pieces. And one of mine was just the war of emotion and how sometimes emotions are okay to feel and sometimes they're not, but historically they're all going to overwhelm me, whether they're good or bad. And I felt that imbalance. So one of the takeaways from that time was feel the emotion, step Mm -hmm. into it and let it flow downstream. You're not actually going to be overwhelmed by it. It is going to pass by, but it won't unless you step into it. And it's like that getaway to the mountains. That's good. It's letting off some of the steam from the canister or the kettle. It's taking some of the pressure off, but it isn't actually stopping pressure from being added. So a second one for me of the three was that there's only true safety in vulnerability. And it was that piece that you were kicking off this whole episode with of up till now for me as well, as I think many people, Vulnerability is death. To be seen is death. To overextend is to be vulnerable, is to be eventually harmed. And we learn, and I learned to avoid that and to begin speaking and expressing desires through a lack of vulnerability and through accusation or invitation. But I was always feeling safe. And they go, like, no, you're just going to be inflicting more harm on yourself when you try and avoid vulnerability, and still express what you want, you're going to be doing some kind of verbal and relational gymnastics that isn't going to bring about anything near 
the truth of what you wish you would just say. And you can't have it if you won't say it. And so there were so uh, many of these practices of really tangibly going, okay, in this arena, speak what you desire. Speak what you were longing for. If I long for healthy relationship, I long for a new season of being known and having empathy. I long for a, a place of rest. And I go, wow, that was vulnerable to say, and yet it could never have happened if it wasn't spoken. And so thus for me, that, t- that takeaway of, there is only true safety. You can only truly have the outcomes and the hope that you want for, long for, in the vulnerability of speaking them. And the the third will, I'll be fleshing out more in the future, but it, it was helpful to to name aspects of each other and aspects of ourselves that the anger is self-protection and that some of the pain of my story has had me be way more oriented and drawn to stories of others and to therapy and to care. And if you've had any eyes to see the threads of that over the Insights podcast, that will be a no-brainer to you. But there was a lot of me saying, like, I'm going to keep that at arm's length and um, think I'm I'm done with that for <laughs> the rest of my life. That feels like a good third act for the podcast as a kind of... So, man... One of the things in identifying more of like, what is the story that I've told, my, told myself? Why? What has it done? Like unpacking it, replacing it with another story. And uh, one of the really funny things was having an, a, you know, a trained external voice go uh, name things that to other people would be obvious, but it's your life and your story. It's my life and my story. And so, you know, they go to have them identify that, Sam, you see and emote and empathize like a therapist, like, and like a counselor and go, Blaine, you see and emote, identify like a teacher and like a worldly teacher, like a, almost like a teacher full stop. And we could circle back. I like wanted to take that moment and just put it in a time machine, take it back a year before or two years before or almost at any point where the vision of Anson's felt radically different <laughs> to be, uh, you know, me go looking at an idea that you'd have and go, so you're just going to name people's pain. I Why? And and then <laughs> and then what are you going to tell them that's going to help mm. them? Yeah, those be, ones really frustrated you, right? <laughs> Especially where like, I didn't have like a next step. So it was like an invitation into... Uh, admitting things below the surface, you're like, okay, like, but what's the point? I remember of- you asking that very thing. You're like, okay, <laughs> where are we going to tell them to go next? To Jesus? <laughs> that feels like the right answer. Oh, man, being able to go after, even after somewhat understanding and navigating certain dynamics for years to go, oh, you're a therapist. Like you see in this way, and that's why you do the things you do. Oh my gosh. And that's why, like, uh, you know, even Ansons isn't a single vision. It's two very different visions, like contributing to this shared project, and then more and more visions coming in as the team multiplies and being like, you know, I remember at the end of counseling going, that could be a really interesting podcast. <laughs> like, if it wasn't a tug of war between impulses, heart-focused, world-focused, 
but was this multi-dimensional exploration of things through lenses of heart, motivation, emotion, and worldview, ideas, history, uh, being like, oh, man, that would be really cool. And I think that someone who wasn't a part of Bad Sons might go, yeah, but isn't that what it's kind of been the whole time? And it's like, We would oh. go, uh, exit, yes? Yeah, in a very uncomfortable <laughs> way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. But not while enjoying it, while it was happening. <laughs> while fighting each other for that particular piece. Yeah, there's been a large piece for me for the season of the fall was that really on a deep level owning that someone else's glory does not reveal a deficit of your glory. And I could have told you that. I could have said that I I knew it and believed it. And I, I probably did on some level, but it hadn't really penetrated to the levels where I experience it on a daily basis. It's easy to say a statement like that and be imagining somebody who lives in a different state or does something completely different than you. Like, oh yeah, Ian Brian, and he does the wildlife management, and that's great. That doesn't reflect on me at all. But internally, I'm thinking to myself, like, because I don't want to do that, and I'm so glad he does. So it's not actually the same concept at that point anymore. In this arena, that concept feels like it really meets the road of, okay, Blaine wants to go this direction and is offering these things. And often it feels like I have to break out the dunce hat of, okay, that sounded really smart. And I need you to tell me again, but at this time in English for like a 12th grader or maybe even a 10th grader or 6th grader. Let's just, let's just take it all the way back. Explain it like I'm five. That didn't fully land as a thing to be celebrated and not as a reflection of my failure until recently. And the hope is that in owning that, there is a new season of health of actually celebrating those pieces for you. And man, how close to home, like sharing a podcast with your brother, like you, <laughs> you either pursue Jesus and wholeheartedness or the whole thing will kill you both and itself. At just a faster rate than a different job, I guess. <laughs> Maybe, yeah, well, exactly. Yeah. Good episode title. <laughs> I, so some, wait, wait, wait. So hang on. So some practicalities here. At like We name all those things, and you sort of go, well, what does that mean if it's already sort of been the case? Um, there's new rhythms for us for this year, uh, even though we're recording this you know, here in December, and this airs the first of January, first week of January. I will have begun pursuing a master's in counseling on the side to finally own that that is a area of my life that I want to be chasing after and strengthening rather than doing what I have done my whole life for areas that feel vulnerable. And that is to say, if I shoot from the hip and don't really try and do pretty well, that's safer and better than fully trying and being mediocre. So I'm done with the shooting from the hip and fear of fully trying and it not being enough. I'm going to fully try and who knows what it will be, but that's going to be something in my rhythm. Yeah, huge. You know, for me, part of the thing with decisions that I would make would be uh, everything gets run through the performance filter 
but the performance filter is heavily impacted by the the conventionality, the people's expectations things, right? Because you can only perf- I can only perform uh, against a standard that I can identify. And so things that have no standards, like being married to someone, are just <laughs> endlessly productively frustrating because you can't know if you're winning <laughs> um, <laughs> you're against uh. yourself or God, I'm not sure if I want to name who the antagonist is. Other people's marriages? Maybe? Other people's marriages. Probably God, mostly. Mm, okay. Uh, and uh, go, wow, okay, so there are thing, there are areas where Jesus could issue an invitation or even stoke a desire or even give permission that I would not move towards because it's just outside the performance framework and uh, it because it is something that I actually want that's deeply personal, it's intrinsically vulnerable, right? It's like, it's when kids wear the shirt that they actually want to wear, and whether it looks good or looks bad, in both cases, it's really piercing because they're not protecting themselves, and you're like, you are so vulnerable right now, and you don't even, I'm like, I can't take this. You just love that shirt, right? Uh, Versus that, you know, Teenagers is like, I wear the same shirt as everyone. And then adults are like, does this shirt look good is the question they ask each other. And right, it's January now. So right now when you're hearing this, I don't technically work at AdSense. I'm technically a contractor now, y'all. Uh, Sam and I still do the podcast. Sam, in a very nice way, is the boss and the... Yeah, Just and not of you. I'm the... No one's the boss of me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. You got to call up the counselors again. Um, still involved in the magazine, still around, so to go. We're identifying it here because I'm not sure you would notice otherwise, but I am freeing up the majority, actually, of my time to be able to work on other projects uh, in new directions that feel super risky, super exciting, and also like, wow, I would simply because they're vulnerable, because they're different, the kind of thing that I would not have done before, but coming to a place with being like, oh, I really want to work on a new thing. I see God in another area, and I'm going to follow him there. And is it true to say that they, you're both of our choices, though they are different in a new season, at least for me, uh, put words in your mouth, but it feels similar. They feel feels totally risky, terrifying even, and like it's the only possible choice. Yeah, that does feel accurate. Put it in, it feels like terrifying risky, but spend any time considering the alternative. And I think in a really helpful way, I'm like, I could not do that anymore. <laughs> like for so many reasons, like, uh, one, too much has been identified to live in a way that ha- that includes so much harm. And also, so many things have been restored that I won't lose mm-hmm. or maybe that aren't even losable to make a decision in a different direction. So there is a level of like, wow, this feels so risky and alarming and terrifying to me. And yet, <laughs> be like, and the alternative is, sorry, 
There is no alternative. This is why I've been grateful for the show Mandalorian and it's saying, this is the way. <laughs> I mean, like, oh, it's vulnerable, it's terrifying, it's Brigada's. This is the way. <laughs> there, is only, there is no other way. Yeah, so with all of that being said, I think we're more excited about the future of the podcast and where we're going to be going next than we have been perhaps ever for the podcast and hoping that it takes on a new, healthier, and I think better, honestly, you know, chapter than it has thus far. I'm excited to do a few more deeper dives into exploring maybe back, somehow it's a deeper dive and also 60,000 feet, some of these other topics that arose this summer, but more than anything, we're glad to be back. Mm-hmm.